Well, look at somebody and say, Father God is the dad you never had. I want to talk about this a little bit. But first, I want to drop a thought into your heart about how, uh, about your uncalculable worth. Truly, people do not know how valuable they are. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. I don't have overheads, so just listen in. Listen to this verse. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited by your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You're priceless. Would you just say that from Father God's heart to your heart? Say, thank you that I'm priceless to you. You're priceless. You have been purchased with the blood of the Son of God. For God so loved the world that He gave. There's an old hymn. It could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole that stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Because the Father sent this payment in the purchase, in His Son willingly coming, and because of that, we are now purchased by this, the heaven's highest value. Can you just, it's just hard to wrap your head around this. The highest value of heaven has been used to purchase you. So you're inestimable. You're, you, you're, you're, your worth is un, you, you, it's unfathomable. It's unfathomable. You're priceless. Long time ago, I wrote a song that um, went back to the you know, in, in Adam, we are all created. So we're created in Adam, but then we're redeemed in Christ, right? So I wrote this song. It's a kid's song. It says, when God created the rhinoceros, all he thought about was rhinoceros. And then up walked a rhinoceros right in front of God. When God created the albatross, all he thought about was albatross, and then down plopped the albatross right in front of God. But when God created you and me, He got down on His hands and knees. He formed us from the dust and clay and breathed life into us that day. Yes, when God created you, He had a special plan. It's found when Jesus lives in you and when you take Him by the hand. You're priceless. 
You have purpose. He knows the truth of who you really are. And so now I want to step into this little concept that the Lord unfolded to me concerning the last verse in the Old Testament. How many of you have had a, uh, a verse in the Bible that the Lord has highlighted to you as being a life verse? By that I mean some of you have a life verse. There are many, many verses in the Bible that are special to me. And I can start going through those. Because at certain seasons, at certain times, they have meant a lot to me. And I didn't pick this verse. The Lord picked it. And it, I didn't realize when He did it, I didn't really know the depth of what it meant. But it's like, it's the last verse in the Old Testament. It's in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And it, basically it says, Behold, I will send forth Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. Like, thanks for that one. Gee, what's that mean? But the Lord was in a process of healing my heart from the woundings of my earthly father. And He settled this in me. This is going to be a verse that's going to uh, you know, direct your life. It's going to direct you. So that was the uh, the, the verse that I, the, what I just uh, read to you, or out of my um, memory, there was out of the King James version. I heard a wonderful wise man one time say that the curse. Listen to this: the curse is defined as a perpetual state of immaturity a perpetual state of immaturity that you can never grow up because you're stuck. You can't get past. Now, what that means, now, there, the other versions in the Bible, they, they talk about this uh, utter, this, this decree of destruction. In other words, when you're stuck, you'll ultimately be destroyed. I will come and strike the land, uh, it says in uh, the English Standard Version, with a decree of utter destruction. And then in the Amplified, I want to just add one little thing, and then we'll get into this a little bit. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. And then he adds this, a reconciliation produced by repentance, so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse of complete destruction. So the Amplified adds that. Now, how many of you realize, you know, in the Old Testament, Elijah was a prophet. And he was sent to turn the nation of Israel back to God during the days of very wicked King Ahab. It's 100 years after David. David lived a life of integrity before the Lord. 100 years after that comes. Seven kings later, it's like the complete wickedness. Complete it's like the worst king ever. And you can't, before that and after that, this was the ultimate embodiment of a real wickedness, him and Jezebel in that rule. So Elijah comes along in that time and calls the nation back to repentance. So everybody say repentance. Okay, now, so it says, Behold, I will 
send Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Or the great and dreadful day. One version says the great and awesome day. It depends on if it's great and awesome, if you know him. If it's great and terrible and great and dreadful, it's that you don't know him. How many of you are looking forward to Jesus returning? You know, this is like wonderful, right? This is a great and awesome day. But if you don't know him, it's a great and dreadful day. It's a great and terrible day. But before that day, he's going to send forth the spirit of Elijah, the, this Elijah. What's amazing is when uh, people ask John the Baptist, oh, by, by the way, here you got this verse. It's like a hinge. It's like on a door where you shut uh, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. The very last verse of the Bible. And it's like closes the door to the Old Testament. The last thought in the Old Testament I'm going to send forth Elijah. And then the New Testament opens up. And it opens up. We have the story of Jesus being born, but then, then it shows, uh, like if you jump right into Mark, it'll show John the Baptist showing up. Now, John the Baptist had some marching orders. And his marching orders were that he was a voice crying in the wilderness. That's one verse. And it combined with another verse, preparing the way of the Lord. Put those two together. That's what he knew about himself. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist was unaware that the body of his teaching was the preparation of the body of his teaching was having this effect because he said, repent. Everybody say repent. Repentance was the, the hinge opens up and now it's another repent. The, the concept of repentance is forefront. Repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus took that very decree and begins saying that. He prepared the way of the Lord. And the body of John the Baptist's teaching was all about repentance. What repentance, what real repentance looks like. So later on, when they, well, in John, uh, what, uh, John uh, 1, 21, they said, uh, John the Baptist, are you the Christ? He goes, no. Are you Elijah? No. He didn't know. But later in Matthew eleven fourteen, Jesus actually said, if you're willing to accept it, John himself is the fulfillment of Elijah as the messenger who has come before the kingdom. Somebody say, praise the Lord. It's all fitting together. So what is this word repentance? There's a history behind it. Now, the first, uh, we, we hear that there, but then Peter when Peter's out after Jesus is resurrected, the day of Pentecost has happened in, in Acts chapter 5, we see that uh, Peter is marshaled before the Pharisees and stuff and arrested and all this because he's preaching the gospel and there's miracles happening. And he says this in Acts 5.31, God exalted him, Jesus, at the right hand as leader and Savior. Get this now, everybody say this. To give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. To give repentance. Okay, this is... He understood that there was something given. Would you just say these words? God granted repentance. Would you say this? Repentance is a gift God gives. See, the Holy Spirit has to be working for you to waken to the idea it's a, it's, a, it's a work of the Holy Spirit to convict, to cause you to realize you've done wrong. Up to that point, you'll just argue the whole time. And then later, Peter goes to Cornelius' house. And this, this is Gentiles, not the Jews. 
And the Spirit of God pours out. And before he can finish his message, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they start praying in another tongue and uh, start prophesying to one another. Uh, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit says, we're not even going to wait for you to finish, Peter. <laughs> I'm going to just pour out on him right now. And he pours out on him. Bam! And then he says he goes back to Jerusalem and he's starting to share this with the... With the uh, the brothers there, and they said in, in Acts eleven eighteen, when they had heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, and they said, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So they actually discerned that not only was God given the gift, the granting of repentance to the Israelites, he's also given this gift to the Gentiles. Paul picks up on this later, and Paul understands that repentance is granted by God because he's actually instructing Timothy. And he says, to get the believer out of bondage, God gives the gift of repentance. 2 Timothy 2.24-26 says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, Correcting the, his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance. Leading to a knowledge of the truth. That they come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The way out of bondage is that someone anointed with the message, lovingly cherishing the person that they're listening, that they're, that's listening to them, pleading with them, showing them that God can change their life. And then this person suddenly gets it and God grants repentance to their heart. They come to a knowledge of the truth. All this stuff I've been doing is wrong. They come to their senses. And the next thing you know, they're actually being set free from the captivity that they were living in. And this is to believers. How many of you see? I knew for when I was saved when I was 17 years old, but I was bound until I was in my early 30s. I didn't know how to be free. I couldn't walk in the freedom. I didn't know this. There were little things along the way, but I didn't know that God could grant me this gift. I knew I had enough to get saved. Okay. Now, this, this gift of repentance that He grants includes two things. It includes forgiveness. Forgiveness from sins. Your sins and generational sins that are passed down to you. Repentance also includes another thing. And it includes this capacity to renounce. Full repentance simply means to change your mind. And you need more than just receiving forgiveness to change your mind. You need a power to renounce how you open the door to whatever hell could come in to your life. Are you there? It's very important. So one simple way to do it is like this. to say, Everybody say, put your chin up. And you say, Father, forgive me. And forgive my generations for having opened the doors 
to these sins. Forgive us. See, that's a, but now, we're not done yet. Full repentance has a renouncing aspect to it. Now you put your chin down. Now, renounce literally means to disown through a declaration. Disown it. Declare, I disown that. And you remove it's the ownership to those sins in your life. And when you do that, that's like a legal right being removed. See, the devil is really legalistic. And he has legal rights to be there. And when you renounce, now the power of God's anointing can take and cast out the works of darkness. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, it's the full truth. You need it all. You need it all. So many people say, oh, Lord, I keep going back and I keep repenting. I keep asking for forgiveness. I keep asking for you. And the Lord says, just tell the devil to leave. Establish the fact that you disown that door that you opened. Is this helping anybody? I heard one person, two people. So now let's go back and look at this again. This, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. A reconciliation produced by repentance so that I will not come and strike the land with the curse of complete destruction. Here's what it's saying. The Lord said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. It's going to be a great and terrible day, a great and dreadful day, or it's going to be a great and awesome day. Depending on your relationship with me, but I'm coming back. I'm returning. But before that day, I'm going to grant repentance. He's giving the gift of forgiveness of sins and the power to renounce the works of the devil. Now let's focus on this amazing insight. The amazing insight of this verse is that there is one reason that the land comes under a curse of destruction. The Lord has one diagnosis of a broken land. The diagnosis is broken relationships. Very specifically, it is the broken relationship between a father and children. And that's it. That's it. You remove a healthy relationship with a father and children, and the land is cursed. That's it. One reason... One diagnosis. Remove the headship of the family and destroy the land. And it's cursed unto destruction. But Jesus came. Everybody feels the room changing, don't it, right now? Don't you? The Spirit of the Lord says, I'm going to heal something, I'm going to give you a gift. I want to give every father that was stuck. Why was he stuck? Because of his father. And the father before that. And the father before that. 
that when you have a father who's unable to be a father, and you're ab- he's absent emotionally, and he's abusive, and he's resentful. I remember when I became a dad and, and I went to the cabinet to open up and see what kind of a fathering gifts I had, and I had an empty shelf. I had nothing. My brother had something because my father treated him differently than me. But I had nothing except rage from the pain of abuse. Well, I don't want to raise my child with the rage and anger and my wounding. I need the gift. I need the gift of repentance to change. You need the gift of repentance to change. The children's hearts can only be turned to the Father, and the Father's hearts can only be turned to the children if, unless they can't turn unless they first turn to the gift giver. They must turn to the Lord first. Would you just lift up intercession for dads and children to come to the Lord? Because this is where the repentance comes. This is where forgiveness comes. Those in this room that have had God touch your heart and begin to heal you from the wounds of a father. I have... I am completely healed from the wounds of the abuse, the violent physical beating of my father. I'm completely healed of it. I received the gift of repentance. I learned how to forgive completely. It took a season. It was a process. It took some time. It didn't happen in one visit to an altar. It happened over a season of a couple of years or so. Because there were a lot of deficiencies. There were a lot of deficiencies inside of me. Where he didn't show up for this, or he didn't show up for that. It doesn't mean that there weren't some good things. He was a wonderful provider. Thank you, Jesus. Some don't have that. Some are raved in poverty because he's in jail or something. You know, they have stats on if you're going to go to jail or not, that there's a percentage basically on if your dad's in jail, you're pretty much like, I don't know, 80% chance you're going to be in jail. It's just, it's the, did you know that if, a, if a, a mother comes to the Lord, if there's a father and a mother in the home, and the mother comes to the Lord, it's a 30%, somewhere around 30, 20 to 30% chance the children will come to the Lord. But when the dad comes to the Lord, it's a 90% influence. It's like the whole family comes to the Lord. That's a strategic thing. That's why he said, here's the diagnosis. It's not even about the mothers. It's about the fathers. And Satan says, I want to destroy... Here's the kingdom of God is based on the nucleus of the family. I want to destroy the family and destroy... That's why when you come, God's go... That's why Paul said, you got many teachers, but you don't have many fathers among you. What's a father do? He imparts spiritual gifts. Like Larry Titus did for me, he, a father will affirm you. Have I ever affirmed anybody in here? You got to say things. 
not just say stuff, but you know, you say, you say, you, you say, Holy Spirit, who is this guy? And next thing you know, you're saying something and you're calling forth. See, a dad, mothers nurture, but fathers actually call forth the purpose. They say the truth of who you are. They tell you the actions you're going to need to take to get there. Fathers do that. Mothers can do that. The greatest needs in a young man's heart is, do I have what it takes? A father can crush that, or he can release the blessing on that. Yes, you have what it takes. You're going to be a mighty man of God. Just like, uh, you know, we're all like Gideon, at least I was. In the Bible, Gideon was just hiding out. Comes up and says, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> Who are you talking to here? Will you be? <laughs> And the Lord will begin, he'll begin to, how many of you have had the Lord whisper something and show you a vision of who you are to be? There's something that he calls you to be. And you begin to, and you realize, well, here's the funny thing about it. By the time you end up there, you're not the same person you were when he said it. He's got to unload a whole lot of stuff to get you there. <sighs> Like me, I would get in the way a lot. So the only way to reverse the curse is to come and turn your heart to the Lord. And when you turn your heart to the Lord, then He begins to empower you. And you've got to own what you've done. It's an amazing process, but He will, when you own it, the bitterness and resentment is removed. Am I the only one in here that was just chock full of bitterness? Am I this the only one? I'm talking roots down to my toenails. Bitter. Open my mouth. Blame my dad. Had judgments against my parents. See, when you violated, when you're wounded so deeply as a young woman or, or a child... Physically, sexually, that's damage. That's amazing, deep damage. But it takes the gift. It takes Jesus saying, I've taken all of that upon me, and I've taken it to the cross, and I've nailed it to my body, and nailed it to the cross, and broken its power over you. Will you allow me now to pour out my forgiveness and my love into your life? Well, here's what happens. I've actually become something that I didn't have the ability to become because of the work of the Spirit of God in me. I have become an affirming, fathering spirit by the work of the Holy Spirit in me. I have become that. You can become that. Let's go ahead and lift our heads to the Lord. I know we had a ministry time down here. We're just going to allow... You know, when you're talking like this, the Holy Spirit brings up little moments that He wants to uh, unravel in your life, unravel in your heart. He wants to free you. The Lord touched me uh, recently, just this morning actually, uh, 
I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, I want to have a better relationship with you. And the next thing that came out was, he said, well, wherever I am, there's freedom. And I said, I want to live in, with you and bring that wherever I go. Wherever I am, there is freedom. Come on. <laughs> There's earlier in the service when we were singing and the Lord showed me, I'm going to go and release, I'm going to go and begin to heal what was taken out of your heart. And it had to do with fathering most of it. And then Heather had the wisdom to come and uh, call us to the altar. The Holy Spirit's moving. He's moving right now. Father God is putting His arm around some of you. Would you just let Him do it? You see, except for Jesus, this room is full of tragedies. Except for Jesus, there's no way you should even be here. The damage is so severe. But Father God comes. And He puts His arm around you. I can never get over the fact that Revelation 21 verse 3 says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And Father God, who has never been seen before, comes out. And now we see Him as who He is. And then verse 4, And I will dry all of your tears. Daddy God, first order of business in heaven. I'm going to take away your pain. I'm going to take away all the effects that death has had on your life. Because Jesus broke the power of death. That's why we did this. I've come to destroy the power of death. And I'm here to free you from death. And when I asked him, I said, are you going to do that just in heaven? And he says, no, I just do it everywhere I, I make myself known. So right here today in this room, Father God is making His profound fatherly love known. And He begins wiping tears. This is the dad that you never had. The one that breaks the power of death of your, of your life. Releases you from the captivity of pain. Opens your heart. Cleanses it. Brings deep healing. Let's praise Him. Praise You, Lord. Just drink in. Drink in the revelation of Father God's love. You're my dad in heaven. The Holy Spirit has come inside of me and said, Abba, Father, and trained me to call you Daddy God. Help me receive the pure power of your deep abiding love. Just as Jesus prayed that we would. 
in the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of rejection that has settled a yoke of rejection that has settled on uh, some of you in Jesus' name. I command it to leave right now. The spirit of God's power is coming to break it because you've had a heart of repentance already. You said, I forgive him. I forgive him. I forgive him. The Lord says, I'm taking the yoke of rejection off your shoulders right now. Holy Spirit, come. Anointing, come and take that yoke off. Now, in Jesus' name, now. Now, in Jesus' name. One, two, three, come off. Detach, be gone. Lift off, in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's the anointing, the power. The power of God's presence, the power of... He has the power to do it. He says, I'm, a, I'm the Lord and the power of God and the anointing of God is here. And when, they, when you've renounced the power of God, so let me just go ahead and remove that for you. The anointing can be in the room, but if you don't renounce it, the, the anointing can't take it. But when you renounce it, it just comes and takes it. Let's praise the Lord. Say, thank you for freedom to love more fully in my heart, to receive the depth of your love for me more fully. And to take out every bitter root, every resentful act or hurt, everything acted in upon me. And there's plenty for each of us to receive as we go forth from here. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. I'll have just a couple of people down front at the end of the service. Let's just lift our heads. Father God, thank you for your pure, powerful, transforming love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For Jesus came to express who you are in a perfect way for us. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, for every single person who doesn't fully know you, we say now in the name of Jesus, receive Jesus as your Savior today. Receive him as your Savior. He's your Savior. He will write your name in the book of life. You will be His forever. If you need to start right there, say, I receive you now. I receive you now. Because the Lord is so good, He'll start healing your heart before you know Him. He will heal your body before you know Him. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus didn't even have any faith. (laughs) He just won't do stuff. God's good. Let's praise Him. Hallelujah. He's good. He's so good. He's so good. Thank you, Jesus. And now become a conduit for that love to flow through you. Amen. uh, You're dismissed. Love on each other.